0: Well, that's a great question. And let me
1: begin by answering it. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good start, Senator Marco.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in
1: case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the
2: stairs. To the left me me Jokers to the right Here I am Stuck in the middle With you Yep Yes I'm
1: Stuck in the middle With you From Pacifica Radio's KPFK In Los Angeles This is your broadcast As heard on 90.7 FM In LA 98.7 FM In Santa Barbara 93.7 FM San Diego 99.5 FM Ridgecrest And China Lake FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. Aloha, Hawaii. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, other fine affiliates in parts unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around. Swell Fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Good to be back with you. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure uh, that we call The Bradcast. Uh, Great to be back live today on KPFK in the uh, Pacifica Radio Studios here in Los Angeles after another fun drive, so my thanks to all of you who helped out with your support and a uh, and a reminder to all of our KPFK listeners, by the way, you can always, always listen to the broadcast five days a week, a new show each day, fun drive or not, via the kpfk.org archives Uh, or bradblog.com, where you can download our programs Monday through Friday. Yes, we are uh, here, and we are always covering a lot every day, including, by the way, whatever the hell happened last week in the elections in Kentucky. And if you haven't heard the broadcast over the past week, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know why you wouldn't have, but uh, there are a lot of questions about the results in that election, many of which I have long been warning about on this program And at the Brad blog, uh, when it uh, comes to our ability to oversee our own elections and have confidence in the results, particularly of concern is the Kentucky governor's election last week where the results seem to defy expectation, explanation. And uh, to this day remain 100 percent unverified as the popular uh, Democratic Attorney General Jack Conway, who was ahead in all the pre-election polls, lost by a landslide to the unpopular Tea Party Republican Matt Bevan, even though none of the state's handmarked uh, paper ballots were verified to have been tabulated accurately or at all, really, uh, by the oft-failed Easily manipulated paper ballot scanners used across much of uh, much of the bluegrass state. So head on over to the uh, KPFK archives after today's show or over to bradblog.com to get up to speed on that issue. If you're not already, uh, I know uh, Tom Hartman's been picking up a lot of our coverage over the past week uh, on what the serious concerns are about those results. Uh, anyway, I've been trying to not talk about all of that for several days, and today I may finally have an excuse. Uh, tomorrow as well, by the way, because I think uh, if the radio gods are with us, I'll be speaking to the DOJ's lead counsel tomorrow in the RICO case against Big Tobacco uh, from uh, 2006, uh, and about whether a similar case can now be brought against Big Oil now that we know a lot more about what Exxon actually knew about climate change and when they knew it. Uh, So looking forward to that. That's tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, But in the meantime, on Tuesday night, yes, we had the fourth in a series of GOP presidential debates, this time on the Fox Business Channel from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where eight candidates leading in the national polls were allowed to debate in prime time. That would be Governor John Kasich, Governor Jeb Bush, Donald Trump, Dr. Ben Carson, Senators Rand Paul, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and uh, my good friend, failed businesswoman Carly Fiorina, relegated to the kiddie table uh, debate earlier in the evening was uh, were Governors Chris Christie and uh, Mike Huckabee, both previously of the adult debate table. Uh, so they were at the undercard debate with Governor Bobby Jindal and uh, former Senator Rick Santorum. But for some reason sitting Senator Lindsey Graham and three-term former New York Governor George Pataki were not even allowed into that debate on the ridiculous premise that the national polls should somehow filter out who gets to debate in the first place. Uh, Following the uh, recent attempt a week or so ago at collective bargaining by the GOP candidates, a somewhat aborted attempt at collective bargaining in any event uh, after the uh, GOP debate on CNBC, where the moderators actually bothered to ask some fairly tough questions uh, and some fairly tough follow up questions. The debate on uh, on Tuesday on the friendly Fox Business Channel offered a pretty smooth sailing, I think, for all sorts of stuff and nonsense by the uh, by the GOP candidates. Their moderators seemed to either be cowed or, frankly, just willing to serve up pretty softball questions, in my opinion, with little more follow-up than the occasional, well, thank you very much, Senator. Thank you very much, Governor. That was the follow-up. Uh, in, in theory, uh, as with the CNBC debate, Tuesday nights was to have focused on the economy. And in fact, uh, but for a few sections of foreign policy chest-thumping, I guess we can call it, uh, they seem to stay largely on economic issues, or at least GOP versions of what are considered to be economic issues, often amounting to uh, who has the biggest tax cut proposal, if you know what I'm saying, and a, uh, a repetition of supposedly conservative orthodoxy or, or uh, well, what has now become a litany of Republican code words that excite the base but may have little attachment to any sort of governing reality. Uh, for example, here was um, part of Florida Senator Marco Rubio's response to whether the minimum wage uh, should be raised. His, his answer, like all of the others, was was no, naturally. And, and then he added this.
0: Well, that's a great question.
1: And let me begin by answering it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> that is a good clip. I do love it. But it's 5B. Gee, do you have uh, 5B right there? Is Marco Rubio uh, the me, there we go yep, for
0: the life of me, i don 't know why we have stigmatized vocational education. Welders make more money than philosophers. we need more welders and less philosophers and if we do
1: that, so there you go, we need more welders than philosophers, they make more money, uh, but as it turned and and of course, the crowd went wild, everyone cheered, but of course, if we bother to look at the facts that the Fox Business Channel folks did not. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, says that, in fact, post-secondary philosophy and religion teachers earn an average annual wage of $71,000, while welders pocket just $40,000 annually. Uh, That's according to a survey last year. The salary uh, database Payscale.com shows that average annual salary for graduates with a bachelor's degree in philosophy is $97,000. Whereas those with a degree in welding technology earn just $58,500. So uh, joining me today to decode all of the above and try to do at least a little bit of fact checking along the way, since Fox Business Channel and Wall Street Journal couldn't be bothered to do it themselves, Uh, Is first our returning champ, post-debate analysis champ, uh, who has been with us for every single debate show so far this year, I think. Uh, The great Heather Digby Parton, often known as Just Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo. She's a contributor at uh, Salon and the uh, 2014 recipient of the Hillman Foundation Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Oh Digby, welcome back to the broadcast.
3: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh,
1: always great uh, for you to be had. Greatly appreciated. <laughs> also today, uh, very happily, since Tuesday's debate uh, was was supposedly about uh, economic issues, uh, our old friend David Dayan, financial reporter and contributing columnist at Salon, Fiscal Times. New Republic, Washington Post, The Intercept. Uh, just try to avoid them. Good luck to you, uh, David Day, and welcome back, my friend, to the broadcast as well. Thanks, Brad. Great to have you here. All right. And as usual, our own Desi Doyen, our producer, is uh, here with us. She's our managing editor, co-host of The Green News Report. She joins us as well. Uh, Des, are, are you—oh, uh, you're, you're working. Never mind. It is easy. all right. I'll leave. I'll let you work. You jump in when you're ready. Uh, and we may try to get to some of your calls today as well. Do you have any thoughts? or questions for our fine panel on the Fox uh, Biz GOP debate, or even last Friday's Democratic Forum, by the way. If you do, give us a call. We are at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Uh, all right. Well, before we get to the GOP debate, uh, Heather and David, we um, I just wanted to real quickly touch on the Democratic forum last Friday night in South Carolina. Don't even know if you guys saw it. Don't even know if who saw it. Uh, be, my question for you, uh, either one of you here, is what's up with all of these Friday—that was, you know, late Friday that debate was in South—not even a debate, a forum in South Carolina amongst the three Democratic candidates still in the race. Uh, there's a Democratic debate coming up on Saturday. Uh what is up with this? Is the uh, Democrat, are the Democrats really trying to hide their candidates? Or are they trying to protect Hillary? What are they doing, uh, Heather Parton?
3: Well, you got me, but it certainly does seem odd because this is a the, the first debate that they did during the middle of the week mm-hmm. was very you know, had high ratings. A lot of people tuned in. I think people are interested. So I, I don't know. Of course, this was all set up long in advance. So perhaps they had some, you know, nefarious motives that I can't figure out what they might be. But it is too bad because I think people are tuning in and they're and they're definitely tuning into these Republican debates. Unfortunately, you know, if this is all people are seeing, I'm afraid that you know we're basically turning off, you know, nine tenths of the of the uh, voting public if all they're seeing is the Republican side. And you know, I mean, I thought the the the, the debate on Friday night wasn't a debate, a forum, mm-hmm. ex- extended interviews with the three candidates. Uh, I thought they were. I thought it was very interesting to see them all, um, you know, one right after the other, mm-hmm. and kind of compare them that way. And I thought Ma- Rachel Maddow was a, was a good interviewer and asked some, uh, you know, some probing questions. And and uh, you know, I think people would have benefited from seeing it if they didn't, especially if they've seen these other debates and have no idea what actual uh, you know, politicians with <laughs> some, you know, some knowledge of well, uh, what is entailed in the job of president or even the job of citizen.
1: Well, it was uh, it was actually a quite substantive discussion, it seemed to me. Uh, and uh, from all three of those uh, Democratic candidates, I thought it was a stark uh contrast to the Republican debates we've now been seeing, Uh, David, uh, Dayan, did you get a chance? Uh, Did you happen to be home on a Friday night in order to watch the forum in in South Carolina uh, with the Democrats?
0: Well, at least I don't have to look like such a loser because it was (laughs) 5 o'clock local time. Uh, That's right. I'm allowed to be home at 5 or 6. On the
1: West Coast, yes.
0: No, I was home the rest of the night, too. (laughs) um, Let's be clear. I, I, I'm not that bad. Um, I think this uh, just just to, to bring up your your earlier question. I, I think this is a calculated error that was made many many moons ago on the part of the DNC. Uh, this remember this is coming out of 2012. In 2012, debates were seen as negative. Uh, there were too many of them. They started to bore people. Uh, and this was solely on the Republican side. There weren't any debates on the Democratic right. side, of course, because Barack Obama was up for reelection. But they were seen as highly negative and corrosive uh, to the Republican Party to be you know, asked these questions again and again and again. And to tear each other down again and again and again, that was seen as
1: very negative. But, David, that was so, on the Republican side. Back yeah. in 2008, the uh, series of debates between uh, Obama and Hillary uh, Clinton, frankly, were, I-, I think, classics for the ages. They went they on and on, but they got...
0: But, you know, but even those, I think there was some dif- discomfort on the part of the DNC. Uh, that there was so much sniping back and forth between the candidates. You might remember hearing, like, oh, having these candidates tear one another down, it's just going to hurt us in the general election. It was a, it was, it was a bad narrative, because what we saw is that voters turned out in record numbers in that primary and were very engaged. But <laughs>
1: That's uh, a bad narrative? Me,
0: it seems like, seems like to me that among uh, uh, establishments, elites, of the party organ, uh, having the the public get involved in the race in any way (laughs) is seen as negative. The, I, I, and, and, and and I think I think you you kind of can recognize what I'm talking about when I say that. Well,
1: maybe so. But if you look at the uh, since the first Democratic debate a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, not only were the numbers huge for the uh, for the Democrat for the you know just viewers watching it and hearing Democratic ideas, but uh, Hillary Clinton, even if this was meant you know to sort of protect Hillary Clinton, right. her polls her poll numbers you know have skyrocketed Absolutely. since that debate.
0: I say it's a calculated mistake, yeah. not a calculated, uh, 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 you know, fabulous idea. <laughs> uh, it was a mistake to do this because you've seeded the ground to these Republican mm-hmm. debates. And even if you think these Republican debates are silly, they're still getting millions of people. Yep. And it's sort of the only thing on the field to engage in in terms of politics. And uh, what, even if you don't believe the narratives that get pushed, uh... by virtue of not having any counter narrative available uh, they they end up driving the debate to uh, to in terms of our politics.
1: They sure so. do, and they're going to drive it on this show. As a matter of fact, I mean yeah. this is, you know w- w- that's what we're going to turn to. We're going to turn to this Republican debate. Hopefully, we'll get to some of the uh, uh, the Democratic debate maybe next week. But I don't know. After it's you know held on Saturday, a lot can happen between Saturday and Monday. Uh, but that's what the Democrats want. That's what the Democrats get. Turning back to Republicans, therefore. Uh, Digby uh there were last night at the uh CN, no, no the Fox business Channel debate uh there were virtually no follow-up questions uh it seemed to me uh did the uh the fit that the Republicans threw after the CNBC have the uh, intended effect on the moderators at uh, Fox business in, in last night's debate as you see it
3: Oh no! I'm sure it had no effect at all. <laughs> you know, why would you say that? I mean, how how absurd! I mean, the fact that they I
1: can't believe I brought in two people who are snarkier than me today. <laughs> I mean, this is all right. Go ahead, Heather.
3: I can't help it. After I know after watching that that display last night. I know <laughs> obsequious, you know, fawning obsequiousness. Yes. I mean and this was in both of the debates, the the undercard and the uh you know, the kitty table and mm-hmm. the and the uh the grown ups table. Yep. That they were I mean, of course they were affected by it. Now it it must be remembered that when they made their demand they, they <laughs> <laughs> they they set forth their collective bargaining agreement and uh, and 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 put it out there so that every all the networks would understand what their demands were, including mm-hmm. that the temperature be you know less than sixty seven yes. degrees. Um In it, it you know they didn't include Fox in mm-hmm. that. They didn't include Fox and Fox Business News very, very specifically saying, oh, we trust them, we know they're good. Now, this was funny because they had been really whiny and petulant about the first one with Megyn Kelly. They mm-hmm. didn't like that at all and had complained vociferously about, you know, um, who was it? It was Brett Baer, I think, was the other uh, questioner on that debate. But in this time, they, they, they basically, you know, left them off the list. However, obviously, they understood exactly what was required they knew that in order to keep everybody happy they were going to have to you know not ask anything Uh you know ben carson had been on the hot seat for days before this debate mm-hmm. about about his past about all this not one question on it and you could even have found a way to do it within the the framework of the economic debate if you wanted to but they they did not do that and and they were very very careful in fact in the the kitty debate the first question was pretty much you know how will you deal with the fact that America is now living in a dystopian hellscape of <laughs> unprecedented misery never felt by anyone on Earth before? I mean that was, <laughs> this was pretty much how they sort of introduced this, giving them you know many many. I mean I remember in the first in the last time uh, Ted Cruz complaining that the Democratic debate had been nothing but softballs. Please, this was this was like you know play yep. catch with a four-year-old yep. it was say so, it was so easy so it in it you know in a way I kind of appreciated it at least it allowed these people to get at um, all of their totally inane uh, policies and uh, and proposals and, and let's we, we were able to hear them so it, that's good
1: yeah we were able to hear them we were able to hear you know whose uh, whose tax cut is bigger or flatter uh, and so let's get into some of those totally inane uh, issues, but let's do it after a break here, and then we'll uh, we've got some audio from the debate. If you missed it, we'll uh, we'll get you up to speed. Uh, if you didn't miss it, uh, our condolences to you. But we're going to talk about it and uh, debunk a whole bunch of it. So let's take a, a quick break, and we'll be back with uh, Digby and Dayan, Heather Digby Parton and David Dayan are my guests right here on the broadcast on our. On our latest GOP debate special coverage, live from Los Angeles in the KPFK studios, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Thank you, Senator Rubio. Thank you, sir.
3: Thank you, Senator. Thank you, sir.
1: people who know me know that I'm an honest person. Thank you, Dr. Carson. It would be terrifying. Thank you. thank you. Thank you, Donald, for allowing me to speak at the debate. That's really <laughs> nice of you. All right, thank you all very much for Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Pal and confidants. From the Fox Business I'm Channel and the Republican Party got together last night in Milwaukee for their debate. We're getting together today in Los Angeles to discuss it all. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with my guests today, Heather Digby-Parton and David Dayan, trying to make sense of it all. Uh, wish us luck. Uh, all right, Um, well, not surprisingly, this was a uh, supposed to be about economic issues. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, not surprisingly, all of the Republican candidates want to cut, cut, cut taxes. Uh, and uh, almost uh, all uh, now seem to want some version of a flat tax, which now seems to be uh, becoming conservative orthodoxy in and of itself, it seems to me. Rand Paul was asked about uh, tax cutting and and risks that it would cause to uh, the near-term a budget and budget crises that could happen. Um, well, he, here, here's, here's a little bit of what uh, Rand Paul had to say about uh, taxes and public versus private spending and then we'll get some thoughts on this from our guests.
2: I think what's important about the tax debate is is that we have to ask the question where is money best spent? In the private sector in the government sector. I want a government really really small, so small you can barely see it.
1: So I want lower taxes and much more money in the private sector. Okay, so uh, David Dayen, uh, as a uh, financial uh, reporter, is there any truth? I want to try to see if there's any sense that can be made. Uh, Is there any truth to the idea that uh, private money is better for the economy than money that is uh, spent in the public sector. Uh, what's the difference? And uh, we'll throw in, uh, can a flat tax possibly help the economy or even the debt and deficit issues that uh, uh, Republicans, you know, like Rand Paul, pretend to care about? David?
0: Your question is no. I mean, uh, the, the, the theory, the conservative theory goes is that public spending crowds out spending that would better be deployed in the private sector and and this this just you you cannot find evidence for that case uh if it crowded it out uh, you might see uh higher long term interest rates you might see higher inflation you might see a, a whole host of things that you're not seeing the problem is the problem that we've had in the economy over the last several years is one of uh, insufficient demand not of insufficient supply of funds uh, that that and that's what you would assume would be the case if uh, if there was this crowding out problem.
1: so if a hundred million dollars is spent by the government to uh, build roads in some fashion, put people to work, that has the uh, same or equal effect as if a corporation had spent $100 million on some project, correct?
0: Right. I mean, well, there's a knock-on effect. If it's a public road that's a part of the commons that everybody can use, Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's actually an additional effect because then a business can set up shop along that road and get their goods to market. I mean, there's all sorts of things. When when you're talking about public works, uh, those tend to have greater effects than just the dollar amount spent in terms of economic activity.
1: Okay. And how about a flat tax? Uh, Rand Paul, I think, was calling for 14.5% tax across the board. Cruz wanted 10%. 10% flat tax across the board. Can a flat tax possibly help the economy or those uh, issues of, you know, the, the the debt and the deficit that uh, the GOP pretends, as I say, pretends to care so much about? Will they solve those problems if they got the tax policies they are seeking?
0: Well, I feel like uh, Carson, who's kind of been the avatar of, of the flat tax this cycle, last cycle it was Herman Cain, mm-hmm. 999, uh, I feel like Carson gave up on it uh, in a very kind of little... Uh, remembered part uh, or very early in the debate, where he said, uh, you know, there was a distinction drawn between Carson's idea of a flat tax and, and tr- what Trump has said, which is that the, the wealthy should pay a higher percentage. And, and what Carson said is he kind of backed up his thinking on the entire flat tax, and then at the very, very end said, oh, and also I think there should be a rebate for uh, people who can't afford it, if people of, of, of mot- more modest means. Which is the opposite of a flat tax. If there's a rebate uh, to the low end, then there there is no that, that tax is no longer flat. That tax is progressive and it curves upwards. So uh, I feel like when it when it came down to it, amongst amid very mild challenging, uh, that, that, that Carson really wasn't for it to begin with. And and I think you would get that uh, as soon as you brought up any of the major. Uh, problems. I mean, of course, the big problem with, I, I believe, cruises is that uh, it's a consumption tax, which is actually not progressive at all. It's highly regressive. It's mm-hmm. not flat uh, because people uh, of of more modest means spend a higher percentage of their income on goods, uh, basic goods, uh, to for survival. Uh, and so it's actually a regressive tax,
1: uh, not
0: even flat. It's it's downward sloping.
1: But even when it's flat, it sounds so plausible to so many people, perhaps so many incurious people. Uh, why wouldn't a flat tax be a great idea?
0: Because, well, first of all, you would have a, a, a an amazingly limited uh, number of resources in order to make that flat tax such that you would get the similar amount of resources. In the economy, uh, revenue, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, you would have to raise it to a, a level that it would be highly uncomfortable, particularly for the poor, um, right now. Uh, and and the other thing is that we have regressive taxes at the state and, and local level, pretty much across the board. Those are sales taxes. Those are uh, income taxes. Where there are income taxes, that are not nearly as progressive. Uh, as they are at the federal level the federal uh more progressive graduated income tax really uh balances out what is a regressive tax largely uh when you factor everything in at the state and local level uh it's also this is also why it's completely untrue to say that that large groups of people in the economy don't pay any taxes they pay sales taxes they pay uh, all sorts of taxes mm-hmm. Um, throughout and 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 those are largely uh they pay the greater burden uh relative to the rich uh at at the state and local level. So uh, why it wouldn't work is that uh you would end up not being flat but being sharply regressive uh and so poor people would be paying more uh for the burdens of the economy. So really while you're doing with a flat tax it's just a code to uh cut taxes massively on the rich.
1: Given uh, s- uh the responses I think from everyone uh, on the uh Republican debate stage last night who was asked about this, who was asked about the minimum wage, uh, I should say there seems to be evidence that these Republican candidates may not care so much about uh about the poor and the 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 low income. I want to run through a couple of these responses and then get a thought from Heather. Uh, uh Heather, I'm just going to log Lob this uh, softball over to you. Here was uh, uh, Donald Trump when he was asked, should we, in fact, raise the minimum wage to
2: $15? Taxes too high, wages too high. We're not going to be able to compete against the world. I hate to say it, but we have to leave it the way it is. People have to go out, they have to work really hard, and they have to get into that upper stratum. But we cannot do this if we are going to compete with the rest of the world. We just can't do it.
1: They have to get into the upper stratum. Good luck there. Uh, Ben Carson uh, offered something uh, similar. This is clip four. G, you got four?
0: As far as the, the minimum wage is concerned, people need to be educated on the minimum wage. Every time we raise the minimum wage, the number of jobless people increases. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and finally, Marco Rubio uh, was also asked about uh, whether he'd raise the minimum wage. Of course, he, too, is against it. Clip five
0: is not pro- providing jobs that pay enough. If I thought that raising the minimum wage was the best way to help people increase their pay, I would be all for it. But it isn't. If you raise the minimum wage, you're going to make people more expensive than a machine.
1: So there you go, uh, Heather. Take your pick. Uh, oh, <laughs> wages are too high, says Donald Trump. People need to be educated, says Ben Carson.
3: Yeah, well, somebody needs to be educated, that's mm-hmm. for sure. I think maybe we could start with Ben Carson himself, since he is absolutely wrong. There is no evidence that they <laughs> raising the minimum wage. Causes joblessness or increases unemployment. It's just not true. They've done it a bunch of times. They've raised the minimum wage and it hasn't happened. And in fact, it's being raised all over the country on the state and local level. As we speak, and it's not a problem. the only, The problem is, is that the federal level has not kept up with the changes that are out there. So he's just, he's just wrong about that, as he is about almost everything. I, you know, this is what happens when you spend all your time reading Breitbart and World Net Daily and listening to, you know, uh, Michael Savage. Or Wait a
1: minute! Was... I do all of those things, Heather. Well, are okay. you okay?
3: <laughs> 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 um, but you know, as far as as Trump is concerned, yeah. I found that really fascinating because. He, he actually doubled down on that this morning when he was on Morning Joe. He said, yes, we, we, the wages are too high. We can't compete. With people around the world because our wages are too high. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard yeah. any politician actually say that. Now, I've always suspected that some of them think it. Certainly, mm-hmm. certain people in business do. But it's extremely interesting coming from him because he's Mister Immigration, right? He's Mister Deport all the immigrant, all the undocumented workers. Right.
1: Good point. And do
3: all this. And one of the main arguments about that is that uh, that illegal immigration, what they call illegal immigration, undocumented workers drive wages down for for hardworking Americans, right? Mm-hmm. So here's this guy saying we should get rid of all the undocumented workers, and we should drive wages down, and that seems very, very strange yeah. and actually, uh, you know, internally inconsistent. So you know, but I mean, that's not surprising because Trump doesn't care about. Uh, Trump does not care about uh, immigration as an economic issue. Obviously, he never makes that argument himself. That's an argument that they used to make, or that maybe the Chamber of Commerce or somebody—actually, uh, they for undocumented workers. But you know, people mm-hmm. who are trying to protect American workers, they, uh, especially on the right, they're always kind of saying that. But um, Trump makes the argument. It's almost purely a matter of culture for him. He doesn't. He's not arguing economics at all. He wants to deport. Uh, undocumented workers because they're criminals and rapists and they're destroying our country and And, we have to to get rid of them. And
1: it hardly seems, uh, you know, what do I know, but it hardly seems like a winning strategy to tell your voters that their wages are too high.
3: I I can't, I cannot, I can't, I couldn't, I could not believe what I was hearing. And then when I saw him this morning, I thought, oh, he's going to, walk this back, because that's an insane thing for someone to say. And I can't even believe, you know, his work, his followers tend to be mostly, not all, but they're mostly white working class types.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Trump Trump does not walk things back. No. E- even if he screwed up by saying that out loud, he knows that in a Republican primary, you do not walk back. That's a sign of weakness. Yeah. Uh, and and so his the other choice is, Double down, which, uh, as you suggest, he did. Uh, but speaking of walking things back, uh, Jeb Bush, uh, <laughs> he was—he's been claiming that uh, there will be an average of four percent growth uh, under his presidency. He was asked uh, what regulations that he would—that uh, he would change that uh, happened under uh, Barack Obama's presidency, and uh, basically, he said, well, actually, literally, uh, he said all of them. On the regulatory side, I think we need to repeal every rule that Barack Obama has in terms of work in progress. Every one of them. And start over. For those that are already in existence, the regulation of the internet, uh, we have to start over, but we ought to do that. The Clean Power Act, we ought to repeal that and, and start over on that. The Waters of the United States Act, which is going to be devastating for agriculture and many industries, we should repeal that. We should repeal the rules because the economic costs of this far exceed the social benefit. And if we're serious about being serious about high growth, then we have to recognize that small businesses right now, more of them are closing than, than, are, than are being set up. Now, uh, setting aside the fact that many of the things he mentioned are not actually uh, uh, laws, uh, they're not actually acts, uh, they can't be repealed, so to speak. There are many of them new agency rules under existing authority of the the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act and so forth. Uh, So he can't just repeal them. Um, uh, But uh, again, David, maybe a softball here, but I think people need to hear this. What does cutting government, cutting regulation, uh, or even shrinking government, shutting down the IRS, as many of them called for, shrinking uh, the federal uh, employment. How does that in any way grow the economy? Is there anything at the heart of this so-called conservative claim that if you just start getting rid of regulations and agencies, there is a a positive effect on the economy?
0: I think you've by these Republican candidates with these softball questions. Yes, I have. And <laughs> I'm appalled by it. <laughs>
1: yes, I know. Personally. I know. Uh,
0: nonetheless, I will, I will. Uh, you know, I'll... I'll
1: Entertain me. Entertain me, yes.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the, the things, as you said, that, that Bush was talking about, you just take the Clean Power Plan that was mandated by a Supreme Court ruling uh if you repeal that you are you are duty bound by the supreme court to come up with an alternative uh so uh you know these things aren't optional uh in, in, in and and they've been put down by by many precedents and from legislative to judicial uh you know this is it's just sort of a cop out you you don't really have you know they don't really have another policy other than than give free stuff in the form of tax cuts to people uh, I'm always amused when uh, their their claim is that Democrats are offering free stuff when they're offering large sums of money, <laughs> which is the freest stuff imaginable. Well, uh, well
1: who's but... offering large sums? What, what do you mean? <laughs> Republican Who... candidates.
0: I mean, you're talking about tax cuts. Ah, I mean, their common gotcha. uh, claim is that 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 Democrats are just offering these free programs and 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 nothing more. When when obviously. Uh, the 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 main thing that that Republican candidates do is offer this free stuff in terms of taxes but uh but of course really that 's only to a few
1: that 's only to a few people david uh the Democrats right. are offering free stuff to everybody. this that's is only problem. free stuff well, to a few people problem, right who
0: are who are very deserving right um but but you know if you don 't have anything else, if that 's your entire economic program uh and and you know government programs that improve education or health or or any anything virtually uh is off the menu then all you have left is this idea that businesses complain a lot about that if only they were unshackled by these burdensome rules that they would invest more and they would uh take the lo- uh, the, the the lack of a need for compliance costs and put it towards investment and surge the economy now there's absolutely no Uh, basis for that. And in fact, the last uh, experiment in this country with massive deregulation was in the financial sector, and that got us one of the largest uh, uh, economic recessions uh, in 80 years.
1: I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. I watched that whole debate last night. Uh, I don't remember anything about a recession eight years ago. Desi Doyon, you had a You had a a, a point here.
3: Well, yeah, I think what what Jeb Bush is actually talking about is taking cops off the beat, essentially. You know, when you take the regulators and you you repeal the regulations that protect our water and protect our air and protect our soil and protect public health, especially in urban and minority areas that are closest to industry, what he's really talking about, as David says, is giving money to major industries so that they don't have to pay to clean up and not poison everybody. And that is taking the cop off the beat taking the regulator off the beat. If you shrink the size of government, there's nobody there to make sure they're following even the most minimum of rules. Right. Speak.
0: right. Very specifically in economic terms, this is talking about uh, not paying for your externalities. When you uh, burn carbon or, or whatever it is to pollute the atmosphere, that is a negative externality that you are putting into the air that you're not paying for unless you're forced to by a government regulator. And so when you uh, allow companies uh, to not have to charge for their externalities, then they're getting massive savings in terms of uh, what they're able to do with their business,
3: and a massive, subsidy. I, I, massive
1: subsidy. I I, I got to get to a, a, a break here, but I want to. Uh, speaking of taking the cop off the beat, let me play this uh, one quick, uh, one clip, real quick, uh, and then get a thought from Heather before we get to a break. Uh, speaking of regulations choking our business, as uh, our business is, as they were claiming last night, uh, here's Carly Fiorina uh, asking about. Well, how, how to save the world by, I guess, getting rid of Obamacare. First, Obamacare has to be repealed because it's
3: failing. It's failing the very people it was intended to help, but also it is crony capitalism at its worst. Who helped write this
2: bill? drug companies, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and it's tens of thousands of pages long. No one can possibly understand it. We need to try the one thing in health insurance we've never tried. We need to try the free market, the free market, where people actually have to compete.
1: Now, there is quite a bit of crony capitalism, I think, built into Obamacare. Uh, but uh, uh, Heather Digby-Pardon, we haven't tried the free market in health care. <laughs> is there, uh, I'll give you 30 oh, seconds to knock God. that one out of the yeah, park. Yeah,
3: that comes as kind of a surprise, even to me. I was in that free market for years, and uh-huh. Obamacare has actually lowered my premiums by, you know, three quarters at this point. So, you know, this is, uh, I don't know what she's talking about. She's, She's just saying this. And, in fact, it's interesting. Today I got a missive from uh, Richard Vigory, you know, the godfather of of, uh, the conservative movement. Yeah, we had him on the show
1: just a couple of weeks ago. I'm
3: on his his mailing list, and he's complaining about this use of these terms like crony capitalism. The uh, right-wing, the doctrinaire right-wingers are starting to kind of get uncomfortable with this because it's actually not the way that conservatives are supposed to talk. Now, as she says it, it makes no sense. It, for her, the point she's trying to make, because, you know, crony capitalism, is, is that's her way of life. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something she totally believes in. But in this sense, um, I think that there's a little bit of tension here uh, that's starting to happen in the conservative side about making these arguments in this particular way. And, you know, of course, she's speaking nonsense, you know there's nothing, there's no truth to it whatsoever.
1: No truth to it whatsoever. I can't believe you would say that, Heather. That's, all right, that's let's,
3: Carly. Yeah,
1: that's our Carly. Uh, Carly from California. We're very proud yeah. out here. Uh, Alright, well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with, uh, speaking of discord among uh, conservatives, it wasn't all uh, uh, sugar and uh, rainbows last night. Some of the uh, candidates actually bothered to go at each other a little bit. We will cover that and more. Maybe some of your calls, if we have time, eight 818-985-5735. If you have uh, uh questions for our panel, eight one eight-nine eight five KPFK. A quick break. Oh, and you can uh, uh tweet me live if you like. I am the Brad Blog. All right, quick break, and we're back with more broadcast right after this. Stay tuned.
2: We have no choice. We have no choice. So he just mentioned name. Like like, Bush, like Jerry, governor, governor. Gerald, it was just, just attack. Attack.
0: I got what just my governor, you <laughs> You're not going to have my back. I'm going <laughs> to have my back. we a couple here. First governor, of all, we
2: have governor, grow, you, governor, let you we have, we have, grown. We have grown. No, it's You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet. It you just talk.
1: Talk. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com our uh, special post-debate coverage following the Republican debate last night in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with my guests, Heather Digby-Parton and David Dayan. Uh, both of them fantastic. Let me uh, go to uh, th- uh, clip number nine. Uh, there was uh, uh, some a couple of moments of discord uh, last night. Not a lot, but I want to get to a couple of them. Uh, this is... Um, uh, John Kasich, a governor of Ohio, and uh, and Donald Trump having it out on illegal immigration, on illegals as they like to call it on the Republican side, uh, and and this does seem to be a very real rift down the center of the uh, the Republican Party, even the Republican base right now. Here's 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 a, a little bit of that exchange.
0: If people think that we are going to ship 11 million people who are law abiding, who are in this country and somehow pick them up at their house and ship them out of Mexico to Mexico? Think about the families. Come on, folks. We all know you can't pick them up and ship them across, back across the border. It's a silly argument. It's not an adult all, argument. It makes no all sense. All I can
2: say is you're lucky in Ohio that you struck oil. That's for one thing. <laughs> Let me just tell you that Dwight Eisenhower moved a million and a half illegal immigrants out of this country. We have no choice. We have no choice. So well, he just mentioned my
1: name. The fact is, all I'm
0: suggesting, Thank we can't ship 11 million people out of this country. Children would be terrified and okay. it will okay. not, not work. Thank you. Mr. Trump, you've had
2: a good, Can I let me just, let's. build an unbelievable company worth billions and billions of dollars. I don't have to hear from this man, believe me. Mr.
1: Trump. Oh man, Mr. Trump, you yourself uh, is is uh, uh, David Dayan. I, I actually I want to get to Heather about uh, that rift down the, the the middle of the Republican Party when it comes to immigration. But let me ask David first: uh, Is that Trump shot at Kasich real? Does he actually th- feel like there's any threat from from John Kasich because he's been going after him a lot lately, or is that just Trump's attempt at? trolling for post-debate highlight footage, which apparently he was successful at on this show, anyway.
0: <laughs> well, anyone's in front of him, he's going to he's gonna knock him over. Uh-huh. It's, 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 uh, but Kasich isn't even I, in front I, of I, him. He's an equal opportunity offender. Um, yeah, I don't think it matters. Uh, and, you know, that was striking to the heart. And actually, I thought it was really interesting in terms of uh, who the crowd was. And what the makeup was is that, you know Kasich was getting a lot more uh, positive response to that in the room than I would assume would be the response from the Republican electorate at large. Uh, that seemed to me to be a Waukesha county, Wisconsin suburbs, small businessman mm-hmm. and and people who are are who agree with the argument. That we need some form of rational system, uh, particularly to facilitate cheap labor uh, within uh, the immigration system. Uh, that that was that was a, a pro Kasich audience to some
1: extent. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, uh, the, that
0: was kind of interesting
1: there. There was. Yeah, there was a uh, g- great appreciation for it uh, when he came out and said, let's get real. This can't actually happen. Uh, Digby, uh, there was a, a fair amount of applause for for him there. So is this. Uh, well, uh, talk to me, because I think you wrote about this a little bit at uh, at Salon today. The immigration issue, it's it's uh, just seems to split the party right down the center. Uh, but have the wall builders finally won in the party or, or are they still having it out
3: um i don't i think they're still having it out but i, I this is a primary um uh, electorate and I, I you know i the intensity matters and in what these people care about and of course trump is is the is the uh, the the voice of the group the anti-immigration group in the uh, in the republic the faction in the Republican Party. I think what what I agree with David about last night I think that that audience and I think it's also kind of establishment political types that come to these debates, you know, they get tickets mm-hmm. this is, you know, they're they're party people. So they're less likely to be the type to cheer. And in fact, Frank Luntz ran a um, uh, a focus group through this thing, and I listened to it afterwards, and they hated Kasich with a passion. I mean, they they absolute they were calling him a liberal. And which you know you can you, he might as well have been a Satan worshiper, uh, <laughs> you know. As far as they're concerned, you know, when they start calling a Republican presidential candidate a liberal, you know he's he's sunk. And I think he is sunk. I I got the feeling that he just went a little too far. He was actually insulting the uh, you know the right wingers. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that. I don't care who you are. You can insult the party establishment, but you can't insult the right wingers. So I think, but it was it was illustrative of the uh of the rift that's in the Republican party and in fact today uh there's a YouGov economist poll that just came out that says that 49% of the Republican party now agrees with Donald Trump's uh immigration program and i would say that includes deportation which is a very very creepy thing um, That's, you say, 49%? 49% of the Republican Party, of correct? Of the Republican Party. So 50% of the people now in the... This has been the the salutary effect that Trump has had on this election so far is that he's brought deportation, or he's put that one on the menu. Thank you very much. That was not something anybody was talking about until he came along and said it, or at least nobody beyond the, you know, the Alex Jones yeah. fringe. So, you know, he he now has made that a mainstream Republican view, mm. that we can deport, uh, you know, 11, 12, how many million people, and including, by the way, the Americans, who are their children. They have to go, too. He said that in the past. And this morning he told Morning Joe, that who asked him kind of incredulously, well, you know, how exactly do you plan to do this? And he said, well... Uh, we will have to form a deportation force," he called it, which just oh brings God. up all kinds of beautiful, you know, pictures of, wow. of how that's going to be done. So, this is now a mainstream position. Even worse than that, when they went when the YouGov, of this new poll just came out, when they went and delved down into it, uh, the vast majority, and we're talking close to seventy percent of Republicans, believe that Donald Trump's view of of what undocumented workers are, i.e., criminals, rapists and, you know, bad people that Mexico is sending, um, they agree with that characterization. So, I mean, this is... And, the, 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 you know, again, this is not economic. It's not an economic argument. It and is a cultural argument. Well, and it's very, very ugly.
1: But it is an economic argument. It's actually anything but conservative because it would cost a fortune. Just the cost of, of actually doing this, uh, uh, deporting people, the cost to our economy, it's the opposite of conservative, it seems to me. But that's a point that Rand Paul also brought up when it came to. Well, sort of the holy grail of Republican politics, defense and military spending. Uh, he asked a question that I've been wondering about for years: uh, How can all of the spending, all of that unrestricted uh, money, and they still want more—that uh, is, you know, given to our our uh, foreign adventures and and to the D- Defense Department—how can that possibly be considered uh, conservative? We've only got a minute or so left, but let me play this uh, real quick, and then I'll get a thought from you, uh, David Dayen. As we go further and further into debt, we become less and less safe. This is the most important thing we're going to talk about tonight. Can you be a conservative and be liberal on military spending? Can you be for unlimited military spending and say, oh, I'm going to make the country safe? No, we need a safe country. But you know, we spend more on our military than the next 10 countries combined. I want a strong national defense, but I don't want us to be bankrupt. Uh, David Dayan, he's kind of right, isn't he? Rand Paul. I mean, this is liberal spending. There's nothing particularly conservative uh, about the amount of money that uh, we spend, and that Republicans want to spend more uh, on on defense. I, I put that in quotes. On on defense and foreign wars and so forth.
0: This is another situation where I think uh, you have to consider the electorate that you're talking about. I mean, uh, Rubio came back from that and said, "Yes, I I want to." spend money to defend this country from is islamists that want to kill us and he got a rousing response in the room uh... whether or not this is right it's 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 a loser argument for for the uh... republican primary uh... electorate uh... you know there's a long tradition of sort of military keynesianism uh... this is this is something that to bring up eisenhower again that's what he warned us about uh, that you would have this, this, this unholy alliance between the military and, and weapons manufacturers and, and, the, the, and the industry that profits from it. And it would be very hard to stop that snowball once it was rolling downhill. And this is an example of that. You're allowed in a Republican primary that is all about fiscal conservatism to suggest that we spend a trillion more dollars uh, over a 10-year period on the military. And you're allowed to do that because if you don't say that you're going to do that, then you don't support our troops, uh, who are the finest uh, men and women that uh, this country has to offer, and uh, you do not uh, support uh, the fact that uh, otherwise, without spending this money, we'll all be killed in our beds. So that's a hard thing to get around, and so that facilitates this uh, shoveling of money out to defense contractors who do not really use it for the purpose of national defense so much as the purpose of fattening uh, executive suites and
1: uh, corporate treasuries. And it's anything but conservative. And so I was at least happy to hear Rand Paul calling them out uh, for that. And let's have a big fight about what actually conservatism means on the Republican side. I think that would be great. Uh, you guys, i got to get out. My thanks uh, to you both, uh, as ever. Heather Digby Parton of Salon. You can and should uh, follow her on uh, on the Twitters at Digby56. Uh, and over at her own website, digbeesblog.blogspot.com, and follow the indispensable David Dayan on the Twitters at D Dayan. He's also over at Salon and everywhere else. Uh, thanks for everything, guys. All right, my thanks also to my producer, Desi Doyan, and to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then download our, all of our shows at bradblog.com. Follow me on Twitters on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Blog. Oh, email me bradcast at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world.